All right, well, good morning again, everybody. I'm so glad you guys are here. Hey, real quick, uh, just one correction on the video announcements. It said River Club 101 was today at 4 o'clock. It's actually not today. It's next Sunday at 4 o'clock. So if you show up today at 4 o'clock, you can't get in. And I don't want you to do that. So next Sunday at 4 o'clock, River Club 101, your chance to kind of take a next step, find out more about our church. Maybe you're at a place where you're at one ask the question, what does it mean to be a member of the church here? This is our membership class as well. I want to encourage you to come be a part of that. But want to let you know about that. Hey, today I want to welcome not just those in the room, but I want to welcome everybody who's streaming us online at River Club Live, as well as those who are watching after the fact. Uh, you heard in the video announcements, we are launching our live stream. So at the 11 o'clock service, um, if you're out of town this summer or you're homesick or you got a kid sick, you can still check in with us and be a part of our service no matter where you are. So we want to welcome them for that this morning. But then I want to say a thank you to you, church, because what the reason we're able to do River Club Live and take this step to really put out what what happens here to those who are maybe not taking that first step to come check us out yet is all because of your generosity. If you were a part of our Daring Faith campaign, you know, we committed 80% of those um, above and beyond gifts to go toward retiring our mortgage debt. Another 10% went to uh, outside projects and things like that. But then the 10% remainder of that was going toward capital improvements and special projects. And we were able to buy the equipment to upgrade our cameras and do all that kind of stuff to to help us reach those through River Club Live and through our online presence because of your generosity. So I want to say thank you for allowing us to take that step. And I know it's a behind the scenes type of thing, but it was made possible because you are a generous church. And so I want to thank you for that and encourage you continue to be generous so we can continue to expand the ministry of what God's doing here at River Club Church. Today we are concluding um, our series called This Is Me. And so if you're a first-time guest today, I want you to know this, that we've been praying for you, we've been preparing for you, planning for you to be here, and our prayer is that you feel at home today. But, but let me kind of catch you up if you're a first-time guest, or maybe, you know, it's been a while since we began the series and you slept since then. So this kind of, here's where we've been over the past month or so. We, we began looking at this idea of identity and saying that there are a couple of fundamental questions that we wanted to talk about throughout this series. One was a question of identity. It's that question of who am I? Then there's also a question of purpose, and that's what am I to do? And, and we use this quote to kind of talk about where I believe all of us find ourselves. It's written by a guy named Eric Geiger, who's a pastor and author, and he says this, that everyone searches for a clear identity. We long to possess a strong sense of who we are, and we crave to be known for something, that we all wrestle and want to understand who we are and what the purpose of our life is. And so we began looking all the way back at the very book of the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And we began to understand this, this reality that you and I and, and all mankind were made with a divine self, this divine identity in the image of God. And Adam and Eve were the first man and the first woman, and, and God made them in his image, and all of us are made in the image of God. But just like Adam and Eve, we have chosen at some point in our life to, to, to choose our way. And the Bible calls that disobedient sin. We've chosen to allow our life to be, uh, our identity to be the one that we go after, or our purpose to be the one that we go after. And because of that sin, that we we've, we've become a broken, imperfect, and fractured person. And then once we realize, like Adam and Eve did, that, that things weren't perfect the way they were intended to be, that then this shame oftentimes will come and it'll be part of our life. 
And we talked about how we all have different things in our life that, that we, we hide because we're ashamed of them. We don't want people to know about them. We hope that people don't find out about them. And so to cover up that shame and that brokenness and that imperfection in our life, that insecurity, we oftentimes will put on an act. And that act will be the thing that we want people to identify us by. For some of us, it's the, the material things that we, we own. It's the vacations we take. It may be our career. It may be a relationship. It may be our kids. But we try to define our lives and our identity by something other than the one who created us in the first place. But the remedy we talked about and the hope is this, is that while all those things we try to use to define our lives aren't ever going to define us and satisfy us, through Jesus, we can be made new. The Bible says that in Jesus, we're a new creation, that the old is gone, the new has come. And so we begin looking at the idea that when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, when he forgives our sin, he begins to mend our brokenness, we once again grab hold of this divine identity. This new creation, this new life, this new person. And we begin looking at if we'll live our life based upon who we are in Christ, it'll change not only the, the, the identity, the who we are, but it'll change how we approach the what? Our purpose. And if we don't have the right identity, we're not going to live the right purpose. And so we've been following this and saying, okay, well, then who are we in Jesus what does the Bible teach us? If you're a follower of Christ, what does it say about you? And we, we began looking at this, that it says we're greatly valued. It says that we are completely forgiven, that there's nothing we can do in our life, no imperfection, no mistake, nothing we can do that Jesus Christ has not forgiven us for, that he cannot cleanse, that he cannot restore, that he cannot make use out of. And we're, today we're going to look at this idea that not only are we greatly valued, not only are we completely forgiven, but we are fully capable. We're fully capable. Now the question is, fully capable for what? We're fully capable to live the life that the Bible tells us God has for us to live. We're fully capable to embrace every promise of God, to fulfill every command of God. We're fully capable to live the life that we want to live and that we are yearning to live, that we're seeing God talk about, and we're fully capable to actually make that a reality. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some times I don't feel capable, that I'm, 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 I'm put in front of a situation or a scenario or a challenge, and, and I don't feel that I got what it takes to actually accomplish that. And sometimes it's a really important thing, and sometimes it's not as much of an important thing. This past Friday, I took my two oldest girls to King's Dominion. It's a, you know, if you're new or the area, or it's a local amusement park. It's down about 30 minutes from here. But, but so King's Dominion, uh, we had season passes this year, so we wanted to get out of the house and leave my wife alone because she's home healing. And I'm like, listen, I'll take the two. I didn't leave her there with the baby. My mother, mother-in-law was there too. But so we, we left, and so we decided to go ride some rides. And my, my middle daughter, Piper, who's 12 years old, wanted to ride the drop tower. Now, how many of you guys have ever ridden the drop tower before? Okay, a couple of y'all crazy people, right? So the drop tower, if you don't know, is a ride where it's just like this big pole and you're sitting around the outside. It takes you up 273 feet in the air and then at a certain point, it just drops you. And you go for a free fall for several seconds, seems like an eternity, right? And, and then it stops you, you know, right before you get the ground. So you gotta know something about me. I love roller coasters, but I'm scared to death of heights. And I hate drops. 
So the drop tower is my worst nightmare for a roller coaster ride, right? For an amusement park ride. So Piper's like, you know what? If you and Peyton, my oldest daughter, don't want to ride, I'm going to ride it by myself. And so I'm like, okay, you go for it. You know, so we're all going that way. And, you know, I'm, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, come on, Zach, man up. I mean, your 12-year-old is going to do this, you know. Listen, come on. And I'm like, you know what, Piper, I'm going to ride it with you. You know, and then I'm like, Peyton, you're going to ride it too. She's like, what did I do? I'm just sitting over here. I don't want to ride. I'm like, no, we're all three going to ride. It's going to be a family thing. It'll be great. So we get there and I'm like, okay, we're going to ride this ride. So we stand in line and I'm watching it go up and dropping people. I'm watching it go up and dropping people. And I'm thinking, I can't do this. I do not have the capacity to actually get myself on this ride that I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. Right. It's just, I can't do it. You know? And in my mind, I'm trying to think of every excuse, everything that could possibly happen that would get me out of having to do this thing. I'm like, you know, do I have any money? Can I bribe her? Can I, you know, babe, I'll buy you a big stuffed Winnie the Pooh, you know, whatever, like, you know, like, what, what can I do? You know, they closed it earlier because of high wind. I'm like blowing, you know, trying to get the thing, you know, to like actually go. And I'm like, okay, but so we get up there and there, there's no turning back. So we sit down and they strap into this ride, okay? And I'm thinking, okay, it's not too late. Something's going to happen. I got to get off this thing. Some, you know, somebody's going to throw up. Somebody throw up. Like an emergency, close down the ride. Like, I'm going to throw up. You know, I don't know what's happening. But so anyway, too late. It happens. Boom, we start going up, right? And we're going up. And, and like, I, I mean, you feel like you're going to fall out. And I'm just kind of sitting there. Piper's loving it. I'm like, I'm going I'm to keep my eyes open. You know, I got one eye open like that. You know, Peyton's just doing this number the whole time. Because she's like, she's done. So we get up. Ride count, they didn't count down, they just drop you. And drop down, you know, whew, 70 miles per hour, free fall, you stop, you get off, you know, Piper looks over at me and I'm like, that was the worst thing I've ever done in my entire life. It was awful. She's like, wasn't that fun? I go, no, it wasn't fun. There's a reason why I didn't want to ride it, right? We go sit down and Peyton for 10 minutes is going like this. I'm like, babe, you all right? She goes, I just need a minute. I'm like, can we go to the next ride? She goes, hold on a minute, <laughs> right? I'm like, are you going to be sick? She's like, no, I'm just traumatized. I got to get over this, you know? Hey, hey, listen, you know, so I realized that I was fully capable to actually ride the ride, even though I didn't want to. But there's times like that where you're like, okay, I need to do something I don't really feel prepared for. I don't feel I, I'm good at it. I don't feel like I, like I can do that. But then there's other times where it's something that's a little bit more serious. Yeah, have you ever... Have you ever read the Bible and God said something or he promised something or he said, this is what you need to do. And in the back of your mind, you started looking at it and you started thinking, yeah, I can't do that. Right. Or God said, here's how I'm going to use you in your life. And you're like, I don't, I don't think I can do that. Or maybe you're not like reading the Bible, but you you know, your God is kind of leading you to do something. Maybe he's leading you to talk to somebody or leading you to go on a, on a, a trip overseas, or he's leading you to like lead a, lead a, a life group, or he's leading you to serve in a certain area. And you're, you're going through this wrestling of saying, God, I just, I don't think I can do that. You know, you're like, okay, I see that there are people throughout history that have done this. I see that I know some people that got some incredible faith, but I'm not capable to do what they're doing. Because see, what happens is, is that whenever we are approaching a situation or a circumstance or a challenge, we immediately begin to evaluate our strengths and our weaknesses. We begin to say, okay, am I, do I feel like I, I'm strong enough to do that or am I not strong enough to do that? And then oftentimes we'll, we'll look at it and, and we'll respond to that call of God. We'll respond to that scripture. We'll respond to whatever God's leading us to based upon how strong we feel versus how weak we feel. 
And if we feel strong, if we feel like we're going to be good at that, then we'll take that step of faith and we'll actually go and allow God to accomplish great things in us. But if we don't feel like we're capable, at least for me, oftentimes don't want to say no. I'll just try to avoid having to do it. But see, the reality is, is that the Bible teaches us that in Jesus, right, our identity is different. See, write this down if you're taking notes. That that knowing who we are, it involves understanding both our strengths and our weaknesses. It's part of our identity. We all have certain things that we're good at. We all have certain things that we're not as good at. We all have certain abilities that that we feel like, you know, we excel in. And there's certain things we don't feel like we're very good at. And so part of our identity, how we view ourselves, is often based upon understanding our strengths and our weaknesses. But see, the truth is this, is that... If we're going to live the way God has called us to live, we've got to allow him to define every part of our identity, including our strengths and our weaknesses. Write write this second part down. See, knowing who we are in Jesus. Now, here's the important part. Knowing who we are because of our faith in Jesus, if you're a follower of his, because we have a new identity. He's made us new. We're a new creation. Because of who we are in Jesus— we learn to see them both, our strengths and weaknesses, from God's perspective. See, learning to, to live this identity in Christ, who Jesus says we are, means we've got to learn to view both our strengths and our weaknesses from his perspective. Look what the New Testament writer Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So Paul says, listen, I'm not the same person I was before Jesus. That before faith in Jesus, my weaknesses were my weaknesses. My strengths were my strengths. But he says, all of that has died. And now because of Christ, he's the one that lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, listen. I no longer live my life based upon my ability, but if I live trusting Jesus who now lives within me, who has made me new. And this morning I want to talk to us about this reality that in Jesus, we need to learn to view our strengths and especially our weaknesses, not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. Paul writes more about this. If you have a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If not, the verses are going to be on the screen. But Paul writes about this, this reality, and he teaches us something about understanding how we view our strengths and weaknesses as part of this new identity that Christ has given to us. Here's what he says, starting in verse 1. He says, I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. So Paul's writing this letter to a group of followers in a place called Corinth. And grew Jesus followers in Corinth. And he's writing this letter and he's been talking about all these amazing, great things that God has done in and through his life. And he says, listen, I, 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 must, go on, I must go on boasting. I got to keep telling you about these great things. Although there's really nothing to be gained from it. I'm going to tell you this because I want to talk to you about these visions and revelations from the Lord. Like what God has shown me. So Paul's sharing about what God has done in his life. He said, uh, boasting doesn't do a lot of good, but I need to tell you these things. Look at verse 2. 
He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I I do not know. But God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. Now, let's be honest. If it's Monday morning and you're reading 1 Corinthians 12 in your quiet time with God and you come across that verse, you just kind of keep going, right? It's like, I don't understand that. Like third heaven, in the body, out of the body, I know a man. Like who's this man? What's he talking about? Well, here's the kind of crazy thing. Paul's writing this and Paul is telling about this man. He's the man. Most commentators, most scholars believe, and you kind of go back and look at it, and a lot of, um, a lot of different translations talk about it in this way, that, that he's the one that this happened to. But he's distinguishing himself and what God is doing versus what he can do. And we'll talk more about that. So he's saying, okay, listen, I, there was this time, I know this man, right? And God did something amazing. God, in some way, whether he kind of transported him uh, supernaturally or he, he gave him a vision or revelation, but he allowed, he allowed Paul to see this incredible thing and uh, to get this glimpse of God and his glory that he says, I can't even talk about because it's so amazing. And, and so he says, listen, you know, I, I want to just kind of keep telling you this. I had this experience. And then he goes, verse 5, he says, I'll boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Here's what he's saying. That, that I'll boast in what God has done. I'll boast in all the things that God is accomplishing. I'll tell you about all these incredible things. But I want you to understand, what I'm telling you is about what God has done. If I'm going to talk about myself and what I've done, I'm going to talk about my weaknesses. Look at verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. He said, listen, I could tell you about all these things, and they're true, but I refrain so that no one will think of me, think more of me than is warranted by what I say or do, or because of these surprisingly great revelations. Here's what Paul's saying. I'll talk about Jesus. I'll tell about these incredible things, but here's what I want you to understand. This is all because of God. This is all because of Jesus. And he says, I hesitate sharing these great things because I don't want you to think I'm trying to brag on myself. So in order to let you know that I'm just like you, that I have my strengths and my weaknesses, to let you know kind of that I'm a real person, he goes into this next section talking about his weaknesses. He says, all the great things I'm telling you, that's all God. If it were up to me, I'm imperfect just like you. And he begins to share what God has taught him, not about the strengths and all the great things God has done, but about the weaknesses in his life and how the things that he views as limiting him are actually part of God's greater plan and purpose. And so if you're taking notes, Paul write this, Paul shares his reality. And he's wanting us to know that, listen, he's just being open. He's being honest. It says in verse 7, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now this word thorn is this Greek word, and thorn is how a lot of Bibles translate it, because it talks about this idea of this barb or this point. There's, there's a, this painful reality. There's this nagging, annoying thing in his life. Now Paul never specifies what that thing is. Some people believe that it's an actual physical pain. 
that he had a chronic illness or a sickness. And because of that pain, he felt like he was limited and that he wasn't going to be able to do what God was calling him to do, possibly. Uh, some people believe it was more of a psychological thing. That, that Paul was, was suffered from depression or he suffered from anxiety, suffered from fear or from worry. Some people believe it was a certain temptation that, w- that was always there tempting him to, to, to do something that would dishonor God or to not please God. Others believe maybe it was a certain group of people who were always going after him, who were always talking down to him, who were always trying to destroy his credibility. We, we don't know what it was, but what we do know is this, is that Paul was suffering from something that he didn't like. It was something he viewed as a weakness. It was something he viewed literally as a pain. And as he's wrestling with that, he's saying, you know, listen, this is my constant thing. And we get this idea that, that he views this as something that, that may actually, in his mind, be limiting what God wants to do in and through him. And he says uh, that, that he, it's even this thing where spiritually the enemy, Satan, comes and he, he, he talks down to him about it. And he, he comes in and he makes him self-conscious about it. And he makes him begin to question and begin to doubt because of this weakness, this limitation. And so Paul puts a request forward to God. Look at verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So whatever this, whatever this weakness is, whatever this limitation is, whatever this thorn in his flesh was, It was something that was so severe, that was so nagging, so annoying, that he asked God to take it away. Not just once, not just twice, but but, but multiple times. He asked God to take it away. But then he shares God's reply. Look at verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's a fancy way of God telling Paul no. Paul says, will you take this away from me? And God says, no. No, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Meaning I'm not going to take it away because I have a purpose. I have a plan. I'm not going to save you from that thing in your life, that weakness, that limitation. I'm going to actually strengthen you. Because of that. Has God ever told you no about something? He has me. Have you ever prayed, you know, that that God would do something? Or that God would make something happen? Or God would would keep something from happening? And and, and God responded with a no. When God tells us no, when God refuses or says he's not going to take care of something we want him to take care of, remove something or give us something. When God does that, what he's actually saying is not just no. He's saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He's saying that whatever it is you're going through, you're going to be able to get through it because of me. And not only that, but I have a plan and a purpose for even that thing that you would like for me to take away and to remove from your life. And so Paul goes on, and he responds in this way. Now, at first, Paul didn't respond in this way. He's telling this story. At first, he was like, God, take it away. God, I don't want it. God, it's a weakness. It's a limitation. I don't like it. Life would be better without it. Like, whatever it is, God, I want you to get rid of it. But then he comes to this reply. It says in verse 10, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 
See, Paul, over, over a period of time, became aware of and embraced the idea that God had that pain, that weakness, that limitation for a purpose in his life. That God was actually going to use what he considered to be a weakness to strengthen him. That God was saying no to removing that thing because God needed it for a bigger purpose. And so Paul comes to the conclusion, he says, so because of that, if I'm going to brag about me, I'm going to brag about the things I can't do because the things I can't do only happen because God is the one that can do them. The things I can't fix in my life, things I can't get rid of, the things I can't get past, guess what? The only way it's going to happen is if God is going to do it. And he says that it has a plan. It has a purpose. He goes on to say, if we go back to verse 7, I love how the message Bible says it. He says, because of the extravagance of those revelations, going back, because of all the great things God is doing. And so I wouldn't get a big head because let's be honest, if God does something in our life, if he uses us in a powerful way, it's so easy for us to become prideful and to think we're better than other people. And so Paul said, listen, because God's using me in great ways so that I don't be, get a big head, I was given, look how he talks about it, the gift of this handicap. He viewed this weakness, this pain, this annoying thing, this nagging reality. He viewed it as a gift from God. Not a punishment, not an oversight, not a curse, but a gift. And he said that this gift of a handicap is to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. See, write this down. Here's what Paul is teaching us. That boasting in our strength, boasting in the things that we're good at, the things that come easy to us, boasting in our strength leads to weakness. But boasting in our weakness leads to strength. See, so often God takes what we understand to be A plus B equals C, and he flips it. Because to me, my, my strengths should be the thing that I should trust in to make me stronger. But he says our strengths can actually lead us to become weak. Why? Because if we live our life based upon our strengths alone and what we feel we're good at, what we feel we can accomplish, then the capacity of what we can do is based on what we can do. But if we trust in God to do the things that we can't do, to work in the ways that we can't work, to boast in our, our weaknesses, then no longer are we based on our capacity. We're now based upon the potential of what God can do. And God's strength is always greater than my strength. God's ability is always greater than your ability. And so part of the reason why God allows us to have these things in our life, these weaknesses, these thorns in the flesh, these, these things in our past that we can't seem to let go of, that we feel are limiting who we are, these things that we, mistakes that we've made, all these, this stuff that we pray that God will take away. If God won't take it away, then it means God has a plan. God has a purpose. And through that weakness, through that pain, through that thorn in the flesh, he's actually wanting to make you stronger. And part of learning our identity is learning to view even the things that we view as limitations, the weaknesses in our life, as something God wants to use to make us stronger. 
So what's your thorn in the flesh? What's that weakness in your life? What's that challenge in your life? What's that obstacle in your life? What's that thing that you feel is, is limiting you, is holding you back potentially from the person God wants you to be? And you've prayed about it. You've asked God to remove it. You've asked God to take it away. You've asked God to make it better. But it just seems like his response is more not yes, but my grace is sufficient for you. I have a plan for that. My power is made perfect through that weakness. What's that thorn in your flesh? You know, I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago. I was backstage just praying before I came out to, to speak, and I was worshiping, and, and uh, I felt like God kind of, God doesn't speak audibly to me, right? But he, he kind of speaks to me. And I felt like God was kind of leading me in my heart to, to say, at some point in this series, Zach, you're going to share about your weakness. You're going to kind of open yourself up, and you're going to get honest with the, the people in front of you. Now, here's the the reality, is nobody likes to share their weakness, right? And I'm like, okay, well, I I can do that. I'm like, it's Memorial Day weekend, there'll be a low crowd, right? And then it's like, oh, wait, we're live streaming this for all eternity, right? But I felt like, you know, Zach, if, if Paul's open enough to use his struggles to maybe encourage somebody else. I feel like God is calling me just to share a little bit about me. I struggle in a pretty big way with anxiety, with worry, and panic attacks. Um, about 15, 16, 17 years ago, I remember having my first full-blown panic attack. I was at lunch with my wife and my in-laws. Now, I didn't have a panic attack because of my in-laws. We're not going there. Um, But it was just a random, like, Saturday afternoon. Uh, We were at this burger place in Dallas, and we were kind of sitting there. And and all of a sudden, I got this, like, this this chill, and this sweat came over me. And I felt like my heart began to race, and and I didn't know what was going on. I felt like I was losing control, and I just needed needed to go. I needed to leave. And so I ran to the bathroom, threw some cold water on my face. I'm like, God, what is happening? I don't understand, you know. So I just, I told my wife, I'm like, I got to go. I didn't even eat my burger, which that was a big deal. So, you know, she knew there was a problem, right? And so I went outside and I was just, just pacing, pacing, pacing. I, I didn't know what was happening. So we went back to, to my in-law's house and, you know, we got on Google, you know. Should we go to the hospital? Like, what's going on? You know, trying to figure it out. You know, am I having a heart attack? Like, what's happening? And uh, we determined it was a panic attack. And that Saturday afternoon turned on a switch that has since then been a part of my life. That at random times, for different reasons, um, I suffer a panic attack. And it happens at, like I said, weird times. It happens at inconvenient times. Um, It's happened on stage before, to be honest with you. Um, you want to talk about trying to preach in a room while you're having a panic attack when everything in you says run away and you're like, I can't leave, you know? Um, and so we, you know, I've talked to some people and doctors and all that kind of stuff and has been, I've been on medication some just to try to help out with this. And, 
Um, but it's one of those things that recurring is this, it's my struggle. I think it's my thorn in the flesh. It's the thing that I've prayed time and time and time again for God to take away. Because it's not fun. And you guys who suffer from anxiety know that. Um, you, can be, you can become fearful of fear, which makes it even worse. And, you know, as, as life has kind of gone on, it's just been one of those things that I've had to learn to, to live with and, and to deal with. And, and I talk about it because it's not just specific things. It's a general anxiety as well. And so I was talking to somebody one time, and they were kind of struggling with their own anxiety. And I said, well, for me, it, it operates this way. It's kind of like there, there's, a, there's a radio on in the background. You know, if you've ever had music just kind of playing at a, you know, it's not very noticeable, but you can, you're not really listening to it, but it's just there, you know? A lot of us use TV that way. And so it's like there's this constant, this anxiety, this constant worry, this constant tension, tension this constant stress that's just going all the time. And then every now and then, for whatever reason, somebody will come and just crank up the volume. And that's a panic attack. And as I was thinking about this series, and, and I've been looking at this and, and just listening to what God was really teaching, I really feel like God solidified and told me, this is your thorn. Because if it was something that he would take away, I would prefer. But he hasn't, which means he's got to have a plan for it. And what's interesting is, is that God not only sometimes has a plan for our weakness, he wants to actually use us in the thing that we're weakest in. And the choice we have to make is do we allow the fear, the limitation, the weakness to dictate our response to God, or do we allow our obedience to God to overcome the struggle. See, if we're going to trust God, we have to trust him with everything. And if God's not going to remove something from our life that we want him to remove, then we have to trust that God has a plan and a purpose for it. And the thing that I've come to realize is, and this is all I can figure out, because I'm not all-knowing or all-wise, and I don't think I've got it all, you know, all kind of figured out yet. But the one thing I've figured out about my own personal struggles is the thing that I've learned to do is that when anxiety overwhelms me, when panic comes, I have to run to Jesus. I have to run to his promise that he's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. I have to run to the fact that he says that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I have to begin to believe that, that when Jesus said that, that with man, certain things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He means all things. And I am fully capable to live the life and the calling that God has given me, not because of my strength, but because of his. And I refuse 
I refuse to say no to what God's called me to do just because it's hard. And if I'm going to boast in anything this morning, I'm going to boast in Jesus. Where are you today? What's that thorn in your flesh? What's that limitation and that weakness that you feel like is keeping you from God's best when God is saying, let me use it so I can show you my best? What if instead of fighting against that thing, you begin to fight for God's plan and purpose through it? See, when we boast in our strength, we become weak. But when we boast in our weakness, then we become strong. Jeremiah chapter 9 says this. This is what the Lord says. These are the very words of God. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord. came across this quote, and we'll conclude with this in my devotion uh, last month from a book called New Morning Mercies by an author named Paul Tripp. It says this, God chooses for you to be weak, to protect you from you, and to cause you to value the strength that only he can give. No, these weaknesses are his tools of his zealous and amazing grace. So your weaknesses are not the big danger that you should fear. What you should fear really are your delusions of strength. Will you allow God to use that thorn for his plan and purpose? Takeaway for today is this. What weakness is God wanting to use to make you stronger? What weakness is God wanting to use to actually make you stronger. Will you trust him to do that? Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you for your word, for your truth. God, how you allow us to know you, to believe your truth, that everything in life has a plan, has a purpose, even the things that we don't like. And God, part of understanding our identity in you, the identity that, that comes with faith in Jesus is, is understanding that, that, that in you we are fully capable to, to live the life of, of abundance and, and, and joy and fullness, God, that you tell us you have planned for us. And God, even the things that are hard, even the, the weaknesses and limitations in our life, even the things that we don't like, that we don't want people to know about, even the things that, that we feel like are keeping us from being able to live a great life. If you don't take them away, it means you have a plan for them. And so God, as we stand here in a minute and we listen to this song, God, as we sing the song, if we know it, as we just spend time praying to you, would you reveal that thorn 
that while we've been trying to remove it, you have there for a purpose. And would you give us, as your word says, grace that is all sufficient and make your power perfect in our weakness. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.